Welcome to Model Rail Radio. I'm Tom Barbelay and this is being recorded live on Skype November 7th, 2015. Model Rail Radio is the internet's only live recorded radio show where the topic is the hobby of model railroading. It's been a while since the last Model Rail Radio recording, that's always a good reason to get a show underway. We have a number of folks on, but I wanted to start off with a gentleman that has a lot of exciting news to present. Dustin Fisher, how are you? Good evening, sir. How you doing, Tom? You've got lots of bits and pieces of news, but it's it's a short show this evening. Lots of people to pack in. Can you give a condensed version of all the exciting stuff that's been going on with the Operation Christmas Train Set Foundation? I'd be happy to, Tom. In fact, I'm getting ready to walk into our second uh, board meeting and our final board meeting of the year. So it's an exciting time right now. But just to give you some quick updates... We are now a 501c3 tax-exempt organization as recognized by the IRS. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you very much. And that was uh, in big part to Dr. Mills' help. He was a big help in getting that done and getting that accomplished. We have sponsors on board now, such as uh, Microtrains. Bachman Trains are going to be sending me packages next week to give to the kids. Um, David Busters are doing uh, toy drives for us here in our local Gosh. community, and we are well on our way to give away over 100 train sets this year, Tom, and to the kids, and also our new project manager, Steve Hoffmeister, said to tell you hello. We are starting breaking ground on the um, John Hopkins layout and the AI DuPont layout right after Christmas. Very good. Obviously, at this time of the year, your first commitment is to the kids. And I yes, understand sir. the prioritization associated with that. For folks listening in, some big names in the hobby contributing to the Operation Christmas Train Set Foundation, I wanted to make a point really clear for folks listening in up front. As you are now uh, an IRS-recognized charity, and we have Ralph de Blasey calling in, Mr. Taxman himself, as you are now an IRS-registered charity, people can send you money and take it off their federal income tax. Yes, sir. In fact, we were given a retroactive tax-exempt status back to July 1st of this year. Gosh, gosh. Yeah, so that was that was a huge, uh, it was a less than a three-week decision that was made by the IRS, sir. I kind of predicted that might be the case. It's a relatively simple idea giving train sets to kids. There's no complicated stuff there. But congratulations on the speed of processing and for folks who are interested in, let's start off with just charitable donations. For folks that are interested in donating money, mm-hmm. how's the easiest way for them to get you that money? They can go to our website and they can donate by clicking on the Donate Now button, which will take them to a PayPal link, a credit card link, or a GoFundMe link. Or they can send us checks by mail, and our mailing address is actually on the uh, website. Uh, what is the website? Donation. It is www.operationchristmastrainset.org. Very good. So in terms of the Christmas period, obviously Oklahoma City, pretty well covered, associated yes, with folks 
who uh, who are in need, that have mm-hmm. children in need. Other areas of the U.S., what other areas are you going to be working with this year? Well, we're actually going to be working with the Baltimore Flyer Club up in Baltimore, Maryland, which is the oldest American Flyer three-rail club up in that area. And they're going to be building and compiling train sets to give away to kids in need this this year underneath the guidance of Mr. Steve Hoffmeister. Mm. And then also we're working with a paramedic down in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, that we're going to be we're going to be shipping him some uh, train sets to his organization that he's starting uh, to help them give away to families who have lost everything due to fires this year. Mm. He is a he is a registered uh, fire paramedic and he also works with the ambulatory service down there. And he's got about eight families that are absolutely lost everything this year because of fires or flood or other catastrophes that we're actually going to be assisting him with. And then we're also working with uh, Las Vegas. We're getting ready to work, pick up a operation down there cool. where we're going to be we're going to be building a West Coast network as well. Amazing, amazing. So you've spent an inordinate amount of time actually assembling boxes, putting toys trains track a bunch of stuff together but now mm-hmm. you're getting the likes of micro trains now you're getting the likes of barkman contributing mm-hmm. obviously these companies are sending you like readily available like i don't know what they call train sets i guess like ready track and everything yeah they're ready to run train sets i believe is the correct term tom right so now you have these coming in as well mm-hmm. and i also have uh, multiple charitable uh, civic clubs down here that are actually supporting my local hobby shop by buying me train sets from him as well. I've been privileged to speak to the Rotary Clubs down here, the Exchange Clubs, which are very prominent civic organizations with, within our area, and they're actually jumping on board to buy us brand new train sets this year as well. So you mentioned 100 families. Is that the current, you've got enough train sets for 100 families, or is that including all the additional corporate sponsors that you're getting in that are actually sending you train sets as well? That That is including the corporate sponsorship. Right now, Tom, I have about 50 assembled, but I'm missing about 40 to 50 locomotives. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm doing right now is I'm going to train shows, I'm going to hobby shops, and I'm buying, with financial contributions, I'm buying locomotives that I need to finish these sets, but right now we stand at about a total of 67 to 70 sets this year, which is only five away from our goal last year. And we're actually, uh, with the other stuff coming in, I had another gentleman that offered to send me two brand new Polar Express trains Mm. yesterday that he's going to order them directly from Lionel and ship them to us. So there's a lot of momentum picking up, Tom, where a lot of people are getting on the board. They're catching the vision of what we do and they're going to make Christmas brighter for, I don't know how many kids I may, I may be above a hundred this year. The yeah. time it's all said and done. I, I'm looking forward to January show to really show you some crunchable numbers about what we did. So Dustin Fisher wearing a Santa suit, handing kids trains. Is this going to be coming this year? Uh, Maybe the Santa hat. I don't okay. know about the suit because the in Oklahoma it can be kind of warm during the winter sometimes, surprisingly. Uh-huh. And so a Santa suit is a little warm. I may do the Santa hat. Very good. Very good. Well, I'm really looking forward to I mean, obviously you're utilizing Facebook heavily. 
So yes, I'm sir. really looking forward to seeing all the photos. You posted some photos, I think, from last year associated with kids receiving trains. This uh-huh. year, obviously, a lot more kids. A yeah. few different areas from what you describe. Yes, sir. There, There's anywhere between the mentally challenged mm-hmm. to the low-income family to the disability family to military families this year that we're actually serving. Mm-hmm. Expanding it to military families as well, and as well as kids with disabilities. Interesting. Yes, sir. Uh, that's correct. So, Dustin, for folks listening in, can they send you their trains, and will they get a tax write-off based on the trains as well, or is it strictly for cash contributions currently? Well, according to 501c3 guidelines, what I do is I send them a letter, and it has a blank value uh, inside the letter where they can actually record a estimated value of what their trains are worth and then write that amount off. Like, let me give you an example real quick, Tom. Habitat for Humanity, when they come by and we give them furniture or we give them clothes, they give us a contribution slip, and we can fill in the amount based on the estimated value of those items. Hmm. Interesting. So, again, the address is on the Operation Christmas Train Set Foundation website. Yes, sir, and I'll go ahead and provide you with that right now, if you don't mind. It's actually Operation Christmas Train Set Foundation. It is 540 Skylark Drive, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, 73127. And I want to say thank you, Tom, because I understand your first check is on the way as well. It should be. Well, the bank says it arrived on Friday. However, the bank tends to be wrong by a few days, particularly getting out to Oklahoma City. So hopefully by Monday you'll have the check. Yes, sir. I've been very supportive of the stuff that you've done, Dustin. I think that this has the ability to grow very rapidly. And Mm -hmm. through this community, through Model Rail Radio, there are a number of folk that are very supportive of what you've been doing. And more power to you. I'm looking forward to seeing the photos this year. And I think next year, with the help of the NMRA and all these other organizations that have not necessarily been hesitant, but have just been waiting to see the momentum that you build. And also, you know, a lot of these organizations are quite conservative. A lot of these companies are quite conservative. They like Mm -hmm. to see action. And clearly you are showing action here. Yes, sir. And I, I actually, speaking of action, I've got my first board member calling for our board meeting. So, Thank you very much, Tom, for the opportunity to give you an update, and we look forward to giving you an update after the Christmas season. I'm looking forward to it too, Dustin. It's going Thanks. to be a busy period, but uh, January, take a, take a few days off if you can, and then get on, you know, get on with next year's worth of stuff, because you've been putting a lot of energy into this thing, and it's important to uh, you know, maintain one's health through these periods of time as well. Definitely, certainly. Thank you, Tom. You guys have a great show, and have a great night, and happy holidays to everybody. Happy holidays to you too, Dustin. Thank, Thank you for you, calling sir. in. Uh, bye-bye. I'd like to welcome back on Terry Terrence. Terry, when I was at Portland, you were one of the most asked about people. People wanted to know what's going on associated with your 3D printing. They wanted to know what's going on associated with your layout. Lots of people said, say hello to Terry Terrence when he next calls in. Well, I'm very flattered. Um, well, I've also been having more fun than a single person should be allowed to have. Done. Yeah, my life got very busy over the summer. Uh, business travel picked up, so I'm about 
out of the house about half time. Uh, fortunately, it's to Indianapolis where I've, you know, made number of friends amongst the model railroading community. So instead of spending every night in a hotel room, I get to go down and spike track. Terrific. So that, that's a good thing. I've been doing, uh, I did clinics at the O-Scale National in September. And I don't know if Jim Lincoln told you, but Jim was there as well. He ran the uh, Proto 48 meeting at the O-Scale National. He also contributed to my uh, 3D printing clinic. So big thanks to Jim. So I did that. And I also did uh, a clinic on LEDs at the uh, Mideast Regional Convention just a couple weeks ago in New Jersey. Hmm. So uh, it's been a very, very busy summer. Uh, the layout has had a major upgrade of the electrical system. So I was running on one power district and one very heavily stressed 5-amp booster. And now it's uh, two 10-amps and a 5-amp booster, and there'll be another power district, the fourth power district added in the not-too-distant future. Mm. Uh, the primary power for the layout has been up to like 32-amp power supply. Gosh. So. Uh, well, remember, this is O scale. <laughs> Certainly. But did you, did you come to this realization through trying to run more locomotives or did you just do some back of the napkin calculation associated with what kind of power you would need when everything was running? Well, actually, it was, it was both. Uh, I, when I originally designed the layout, I realized I was going to need a power district at least for each of the two major grades because trains enter those grades. And they put a lot of strain onto the electrical system. You can hear the, the B, back <laughs> EMF pulses, you know, it really, is. really beating the motors up. Uh, but also when I got the main line finished in, uh, April, I got done about three days before I had an open house. And during the open house, a couple of the locomotives, when they got to the point that was electrically furthest away from mm. the, the, uh, command station, they would suddenly either stall or or go crazy going back and forth, uh, and I took that as a uh, as a uh, indication that the packets weren't uh, reaching the decoders correctly. Uh, and now all that's with the addition of the additional power districts. I haven't seen that behavior. In addition, I also bought one of those little pocket oscilloscopes which is really great because i have a, a full-size oscilloscope which is on a cart and that's generally where it stays because i don't <laughs> want to drag the cart around to wherever i need it but with this little pocket scope it, it you know carries around like any other hand tool and i can just clip it to the rails and take a, a very quick uh uh look at the at the dcc signal so mm. Once I got that, I also put some dampers, not on the track bus, but on the cab bus, mm. because the cab bus was ringing again at its furthest end. So I put a snubber on the cab bus to uh, make sure that uh, throttle commands would be getting through unscathed. So that, and uh, just this past week, on the 25th of October, I got JMRI up and running. Ooh. I had been toying with this for a while and I had made a couple of half-hearted attempts to install JMRI on a Linux laptop. Mm. It was an old Windows laptop that was choking on Windows Vista. Gee, what a surprise. 
Windows Vista not working well. Mm. So I re-imaged it to uh, Linux Mint. Mm-hmm. And I could not get JMRI to install, but I'm, I'm not a Linux guy. So there's, there's something about Linux that escapes me. But then I realized that, uh, well, my daughter had a Surface tablet, and I was very impressed with that. And uh, so I went out and bought an inexpensive $100 Windows tablet. JMR, I installed on that straight away. I probably spent about five hours over a couple of days tinkering with with uh, settings to get the Windows tablet to talk to my uh, serial interface, my lens serial interface through a USB to serial converter. Probably would have worked on the first attempt if that converter wasn't in the middle of it. I did that, got trains to move. Then moved to Android tablets where I had engine driver installed and mm-hmm. made a couple more adjustments, got trains to move using that. So that's where I am right now. I'm going to head into checking the web server and panel pro and a whole bunch of other things. But, uh, uh I'm pretty impressed that this whole thing is running on a, on a little tablet tablet. And in fact, I bought a, a, old windows phone i may even try to install jmi on the windows phone and see if i can get it to run the railroad which would be very very impressive yes. and it should work because the phone is hardly any less powerful than the tablet and that's uh that's pretty much where i am i mean it's uh i'm thinning out the herd selling a bunch of things on ebay that oh, are I, you, you know, that no longer uh, fit my theme and it's just a couple cars here and there but uh. You know, over time, I will get rid of the things I'm probably not going to use. Uh, I've returned to eBay. I had some bad experiences in the past, but this time it's uh, it's been pretty good. So I have no complaints. And uh, slowly but surely, you know, people are are buying some of this stuff, and uh, I'm thinning out the herd a little bit. And there's more stuff coming in from the Orient, uh, from uh, Sunset Third Rail. In fact, next week I have a pair of F7 uh, AB set that's supposed to show up, and after that, the Cincinnati in cars. So, Gosh. like I said, it's uh, it's it's very nice. Oh, and my uh, 3D printer, I'm assembling that in my spare time, what little of it I have. <laughs> um, and then I bought a uh, a laser cutter. Oh. There was a Kickstarter that I stumbled across, entirely stumbled across with, uh, one of the, uh, on, on YouTube, one of the guys from Mythbusters was, was reviewing it. Mm. And it's called the Glowforge. Mm-hmm. And, um, the interesting thing about the Glowforge is they put all the smarts in the cloud. Mm. So you run this through a web interface and that communicates back to your cutter which also means that you can share it. So anybody anywhere who can get to the web can download stuff to your cutter. They also had a number of other features I had never seen. Uh, uh, for instance, you can draw on the material and the, the cutter has a camera and it'll basically trace out your drawing. Uh, so it's, it, it had a number of features and I was you know somewhat smitten with it. And two or three days later, I ordered one. It was about the sixth day after the Kickstarter had uh, had uh, started, and they had already sold five million dollars worth of these machines. <laughs> so I'm probably something like number twenty five hundred in the list to get one. So 
Oh, it's going to be a while. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, like I said, I'm firing on all cylinders right now. So for folks listening in who may want to have a piece of Terry Terrence's rolling stock, what is your eBay title or username uh, or whatever? King1911. King1911. Okay. Well, when I come to edit it, I will be sure to check it out. And other folks listening in, this community associated with Kickstarters and laser printers and all this kind of stuff, we do occasionally have folks posting to the Model Rail Radio Facebook group associated with this. But if anyone, and yourself included, Terry, if you see anything like this, please post it to the mailing list. I will circulate it on the Facebook group because I think there's a number in this community. In fact, I was contacted by an academic friend who's an American flyer collector and he actually has a layout in his basement who is buying a laser printer. I was going to put him in your direction, but he's only on, well, he was communicating through Facebook. So I was able to give him Jim Lincoln, Peter Stempel, Tony Ryan, wide variety mm. of other folk uh, to give information. I think this thing associated with 3D printing, associated with, you know, laser printing as well, laser cutting, mm-hmm. is growing bigger and bigger and bigger by word of mouth and cumulatively, as you say, the Mythbusters guy, YouTube channels, as the price comes down, or what's even more interesting is not only is the price coming down, but if you're willing to pay just a little bit more, my friend in Chicago, I think, had a budget of between three and $4,000. So mm-hmm. he really is in a sweet spot in mm-hmm. terms of not getting the bottom end stuff, but actually exploring the mid-range to almost like low-end commercial grade stuff. Mm-hmm. Very interesting times. Yeah, I was reluctant to mention this on the uh, the mailing list or anywhere else because I was uncomfortable with the idea of someone taking my word for anything. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, look, I, I think all risks apply, and certainly I gave a disclosure, maybe last recording or the recording before, and I'll say this again. I take no money for Model Rail Radio. I accept no endorsements and no promotion associated with this, and everything that we mention here is completely buyer-beware. But having Mm -hmm. said that, we also exist in a community that's really excited by this technology and sometimes getting that information out to the community with all possible caveats. I mean, you put money into Kickstarter sometimes and you don't actually get anything out. And that always Mm -hmm. needs to be acknowledged as well. But it Mm -hmm. sounds like this, uh, this crew have gotten together a product that seems to be very highly reviewed and have been funded accordingly. Yeah, it, it, it had reviews in some of the, uh, tech and financial magazines. And, um, like I said, I was given a little bit of comfort by the fact that, you know, someone from Mythbusters now, I don't consider them exactly <laughs> experts yes. because I've, I've watched the number of their shows and I can see some of the technical faults there, but I hardly think they would be pitching something that was entirely foo-foo dust. Yeah. So that gave me, uh, uh, enough confidence to go forward and besides i hadn't done anything really foolish lately so it was about i was due for some yeah so uh yeah um i did oh earlier very early in the summer i was able to scan a 124th scale car Mm. and then scale that down to 148th and uh, do a test print on that the model still needs a little bit of work but at some point it'll be ready and uh for a, a true 148th car, you know that 143rd cars are available, but they're 10% too large for USO scale. Certainly. They're spot on for English O scale, which is 143 or 143.5, depending on 
you know, who you listen to. <laughs> so, uh, you know, like I said, I've been just doing all sorts of interesting stuff and, uh, you know, it, life is good. <laughs> Very good, Terry. Very t- good. A, a quick update and a reason that I'm asking about your eBay store as well. I am slowly but surely disassembling my podcasting room. It's been embarrassing over the past few months with work, but some of that appears to have cooled down a little bit, sufficient for me to pack up a, a good quantity of stuff. I'm hoping that shelving will be out by the new year, and certainly my wife is very excited about this being a, a test bed for actually sanding the floors and getting everything looking nice in at least one room mm-hmm. in the house, uh, and then putting in the shelving, uh, the custom shelving. So mm. it's moving forward. It's moving forward much slower than I'd originally hoped for and anticipated. But when I have a tarp, I will certainly take photos, post them to the mailing list, uh, and get more feedback from the assembled group So uh, accordingly. Okay. Terry, we've got a lot of people on. It's a short show. Real pleasure catching up. Please do. When you find anything eclectic in the 3D printing or laser cutting area, post mm. it to the mailing list. Or we'll put in all caveats as need be. Because I think there are a lot of people that find out about these Kickstarters just a little bit too late. And it's important as a community, although we carry all caveats associated with these things, that we're actually propagating some of this information as well. Okay. And Tom, I'm sorry for being AWOL, but my life got really busy over the summer. Believe me, I'm amazed that I've been able to record the number of model rail radios that I have over the past uh, four months as well. So I'm, I'm with you, Terry. I'm with you. Always okay. a pleasure chatting. Take care. Right. Bye. gentleman who is definitely going to benefit from the podcasting room redesign, Jim Gifford. Always a pleasure chatting. You and, and Roz are going to be heading out here in June next year. Yes, we certainly are. So I do have a hard date associated with getting this podcasting room ready because it needs to be ready when you guys arrive. Yep, we're going to take photos and post them. Most definitely. So in terms of your model railroading hobby, do get the monthly updates, do read through the blog periodically. What's been going on with your layout recently? Uh, I've been working on Locos. I've decided that um, all of my Blue Line decoders had to go, and all of my QSI version 6 decoders had to go. Wow. They, they just weren't cutting the mustard. They weren't up to the tsunamis and the TCSs. Gosh. So how many locomotives actually had those old decoders in them? Uh, I think there were six Blue Lines. Might be, actually, might be a few more than that, because I've got a couple of... Uh, of their cab forwards, AC5s, um, and, yeah, six diesels and, and three uh, steam, uh, plus the early Paragons as well. Mm. Uh, they seem to be playing up. They seem to keep losing them. I, I don't like taking them off and having to reprogram them all the time. That must be very boring. But, I mean, to be fair, yeah. you're in an area of layouts that are probably a third to a fifth your size and still being large layout. So you probably have a large, very large layout by South Australian standards. And also the advice that you were getting were for, from folks that had considerably smaller layouts. So it's understandable that these kind of things would occur through you know, putting more locomotives on your layout and actually getting to the stage of completion that you've gotten to. Yes, yes. And I've also uh, picked up on Mike Deverell's using the... Um the speedo, the backrest speedo, mm. and uh, and that that's pretty good. It's interesting the um, variation in the same model 
board at the same time. There's a lot of variation between, uh, I don't know whether it's motors or what, but um, but certainly using that um, that technology, you can uh, work that through with uh, with your speed steps. And of course, I've been working on Chris's layout. I've got uh, we've now got one control panel in each of the areas working, and it's just left to do the the duplicates now. Yes, I've been missing some of the photo updates associated with Chris's layout, so I'm not sure. I mean, it was good early on, lots of photos early on. But in terms of the photo updates, am I just missing them? Are they? Am I missing pages on the blog, or is the camera being put down through recent uh, recent weeks' work? No, we've we've put them on the bottom end of my blog. Okay, that's where I put them this time. Yeah, I didn't specifically put any on Facebook and address you like I'd done before. That's probably that's probably why you missed them. <laughs> yes, I was getting very very custom service associated with uh, Chris's layout. So, in terms of Chris's layout. What stage is it at? Is it coming up to scenery? Is it still in the electrical stage? Are trains running? What's happening? Well, I guess uh, he can run over all the tracks now. So cool. all the track works there. It's just, and um, Ros is doing the tweaking of tracks. Um, I've only, in the last week, finished his uh, his last panel. So um, I've said to him, now you've got to plan for some running sessions to test this lot. That was a bit of a surprise, I think. But um, So... Um, there's a bit of tweaking to go on some of the points. There's a couple of stiff motors, and whether that's whether it's been mounted a little bit off off uh, parallel or or what. But Roscoe will fix that. Certainly. And um, looking forward to getting over to your side of uh, the world, and then uh, going off to the National Train Show in Indianapolis, and catching up with um, Matty Goodman while we're up there. And he's uh, suggested that we. Um, have a few other things to look at while we're up there, which would be nice. Certainly. And then we're going down to New Jersey and catch up with um, Craig and Ralph. And Ralph is on. G'day, Ralph. Um, and um, and then hopefully we're going to go up and see Lionel. Wow. That's, That's what the plan is. Wow. And then we're going to go. Then we're going to go across the to the UK, spend a couple of days at York, and then go and ride the. The Welsh, the Western, uh, go stay at Portsmouth Dog and go up to the Western Welsh Highland Railway and then go up through um, the Festinog to Portsmouth, from Portsmouth Dog to Festinog Ballinu, I think it's called. Um, And then go and meet my wife in the UK probably six weeks after (laughs) we leave. Gosh, so you've got six weeks of travel ahead of you. Yeah, six weeks there of, that's with, with Roz. Yeah. And that's pretty much train based. Certainly. and then, uh, um, then five weeks with with my wife in the England and UK island. And then I'll come back for Hong Kong while she goes off through Europe. Gosh, yeah, it's uh, you know those holiday over lifetime things. So definitely, definitely. Mm. Well, are you are you going to do Dave Ramos's layout when you're on the east coast? Hadn't thought of that. We've got about um, three days around New Jersey, New York. Okay, space. Um, uh, we need to get a little bit of sightseeing in as well. Certainly, yeah. Yeah, because at the moment, 90% of it's either <laughs> museums or visiting people or <laughs> train shows. It's the great difficulty of the extended model rail radio family that, yes, it's, yes. it's hard, yeah. to, hard yes. to travel. Well, we're hoping to catch up with, um, you know, five to ten of the people we correspond with, so it's great. Terrific. So, Jim, in terms of Roz, obviously... Chris's layout 
a primary focus. But there were various changes with Roz's layout that really interested me, and then the kind of news associated with Roz's layout stopped for a while. Have there been any... I mean, has Roz been working on on the layout as well, or is it just... Is she working on other things currently, too? Um, suspended animation in that space at the moment. Interesting. Uh, because um, we've been tidying up and cataloguing all of Pam's ah, yes. uh, stuff, and... Um, um, let's just say the family members haven't been helping as much as one first thought they might. Mm. So um, that that's got to come to a head soon, and you know, if things haven't been sorted properly, they'll be boxed and handed over. Because Ros has been spending too much time worrying about that. So. Yeah, certainly, certainly, quite taxing. Mm. These things can be. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Well, I'm really looking so, forward to. I'm really looking forward to uh, to catching up with you both. I. I've put I put the word out to various people that you're going to be in town. I know the Silicon Valley line is looking forward to having you both in their catacombs, but uh, Thank you. yes, it's going to be it's going to be a fun time with you guys here. And I'm not sure yet whether I'm getting over to Indianapolis. So I think a few things need to occur with work, a few additional iterations. But certainly, uh, having you both on location here gives a lot of potential for a lot of different layouts. And I want to extend, actually, out to folks that listen to Model Rail Radio because we have a large listener base in the kind of extended Bay Area. Not all of them are active participants, and there are a few amazing layouts kind of in the hills and the hinterlands that are active listener layouts, but not people that phone in and these kind of things. So they're slightly off my radar. If you would like Jim Gifford... And Roz, and particularly if you have any brass locomotives that need, this is like a Jim Lincoln with turnouts, Roz with brass locomotives. If that's you, please get in contact with me because I'd like to organize maybe two days worth of layouts potentially and one day worth of social stuff uh, while you folk are here. And it's, you know, seven months away. So maybe seven a bit months away. About the right time to put the word out now. Jim. Really looking forward to it. We we need to start thinking in terms of red wine. My wife and I, unfortunately, are not drinkers, but we do understand <laughs> that if you two are coming, we're going to have to have some good red wine. And that, I, I dare say it, but that's kind of difficult in California. Um, so you're giving me a good amount of time to start oh, thinking in that uh, way. Napa Valley stuff's pretty good. That's some really yeah. nice stuff. Uh, I'll, I'll take it from you. Mm, I've had some. Very good. The stuff they supply the U.S. Embassy, I've had two bottles of that. It's mm. very nice. Mm. <laughs> and you guys are doing the wine train, aren't you? Yes, we are. We're gonna that's a feature thing and we're gonna go in the Vista Dome and have reserve seats and spend splash out for a day. They sell HO wine train like the locomotives and basically every component of the wine train. So I have two bits of rolling stock from the wine train that will load out I've, feature. Yeah, so. I've got I've got two coaches, oh. two tank cars, the box car. The, the Napa Valley truck, that, all the stuff that Athern put out. Mm. Very good. So you're already up on this. Okay. Oh, yes. Very it's already good. on the shelf. Very good. I haven't taken it out of the box yet. <laughs> yes. Mine's in the attic currently, but uh, good good places to have them. Jim, pack show, lots of folks to talk to. Always yep. a pleasure Appreciate chatting. That. Please, um Please pass on my regards to all your crew. Yep, certainly will, Tom. Terrific. Bye. Take care. Welcome on a gentleman who I had the opportunity, the pleasure of talking with in Portland, meeting on location, actually having a good chat over some somewhat dubious barbecue food. 
Mr. Barry Silverthorne. Hello, Barry. Hello. That was fun, wasn't it? It was extremely fun. I, I met Jim Gore yesterday, and we actually met in a place that was very similar to the barbecue place, except it was selling Vietnamese. Because I made a res- uh, made a reservation in advance, and they denied any knowledge. They didn't even take reservations. Very similar to the barbecue place. So I said to Jim, "This is a good omen for a good conversation." Yeah. Well, it's not the food; it's the company, right? Exactly. One hundred percent. So good food helps as well. But in terms of Portland, you were Johnny on the spot, everywhere, omnipresent. You had, I mean, this amused me to no end. You had Miles Hale doing your sound and lighting in some circumstances. What is going to happen with all the footage that you took at Portland? Well, it's already been uh, edited and aired on Train Masters. Uh, within five days, I managed to get back home and get the part one of the uh, the show report done, and then uh, part two aired about a week later. So, and yes, Miles is uh, always eager to be every other um, to, to play every other role on the crew if he can. He, he really enjoys doing that. So, <laughs> we just don't have the budget for him to have a makeup artist and someone to light him. So he does a lot of them himself. Very good. Well, I mean, I, I guess, I guess scenery and makeup are probably, they're probably two sides of the same coin, basically. Interesting. I think a lot of time you're using the same tools. Very good. Weathering <laughs> on the face. Yes. I, I certainly feel like I have a lot of weathering on the face or, currently. Or de-weathering the face. De-weathering the face. Yeah. yeah. So in terms of what you took away from Portland, what were some of the, more exciting aspects of the hobby that you found in Portland? I think Portland was a good example of the diversity in our hobby, and we weren't able to capture it all. I was really uh, impressed with where uh, Z scale or Z scale, depending mm. on where you come from, where it is today. Uh, the the layouts there, the modular layouts were fantastic. You know, Yeah, I think certainly in terms of Z, I mean, Z has always been a scale that has shown particularly well, but that relates to a very small community of Z-scalers that put in the extra yard. I was really, really, really impressed with the Fremo N. I mean, they have, I've been to going to shows for five, six years, and they have, as a community, raised the standard. I mean, obviously people like Nils and these kind of folk raise the standard of whatever they touch. But this thing is becoming not just something that excites people at shows, it's becoming like a focal point of these shows, these vast modular N-scale layouts. And the thing that caught me about Portland was these were these were groups that had never interacted previously. They just came together, put their layouts out, and it all fitted together. The scenery was amazing. Well, I was uh, fascinated to see Western scenery because I'm from the eastern yes, half of the continent, and I don't see a lot of stuff with palm trees on it. So for me, it was it was totally interesting to see something that I'd rarely see in person. My Joshua model. trees as well, not just palm yeah. trees. Joshua trees. Oh, and uh, buildings that were adobe. You know, yeah, yeah fantastic. Stuff. Yeah. So through the winter months, what's coming out with Train Masters TV? Well, uh, I'm just about to start uh, a big documentary project. I just got back from China mm. uh, about a week ago, and I'm still jet-lagged and trying to figure out what hour it actually is. <laughs> um, but uh, I, went, I was invited by the folks from a new company called um, Scaletrains.com to uh, go with them to their factory in China mm. and uh, actually document the process of making their first locomotive project, which will be unveiled at TrainFest. So probably by the time a lot of people hear this, they'll actually know what that locomotive is. But it's been under wraps for for many months now. So scaletrains.com, 
Obviously, I've been hearing a lot of whispers associated with this new company. Is it the fact that you just can't say anything currently associated with what they're doing? Or I went to the website, obviously, as everyone does when one gets this kind of information. Didn't find any information that I could literally, you know, put my finger on and say, okay, it's this kind of thing. Is this still all under wraps for Trainfest, or can you talk a little bit more well, about scale train a stuff? Lot of, a lot of stuff is already starting to leak out. They're leaking it out through their Facebook page. Mm-hmm. Uh, the The actual locomotive project won't be announced until Saturday at, at Trainfest, so I, I can't talk too much about that. I, I've seen it, and it's a fantastic model, and um, I think it's going to to blow people away and then they see the amount of detail mm. that's that's on this thing and some of the innovative things they've done. Um, they're actually releasing three different levels of models. Uh, here's a train going by. It'll only be 10 more seconds. No problem. We'll keep it in. <laughs> okay. We'll keep it in. Always exciting when a train goes by. Definitely. So they're doing three different levels. Uh, they're uh, an operator level, a rivet counter level for people who like more detail. <laughs> And then a museum quality level. Wow. And the locomotive is going to be available in the rivet counter and the museum quality level. And like I say, it's, I don't, I've never seen anything like it in a plastic model. Wow. Uh, it's comparable to what you might see in brass, but in plastic. So in terms of the China experience, in terms of going and seeing it being manufactured in China, people are obviously in this hobby relatively sensitive to what has occurred in the past associated with the mass closure of Chinese factories, or at least perhaps the monopolization of Chinese factories by a particular manufacturer, which certainly in N scale did a considerable amount of damage for a certain amount of time. Right. What is um, your sense associated with China now for this kind of venture? Well, in, in, in the case of what I saw, and I didn't see everything, right? I mean, it's, it's a huge place. We were, uh, we were just north of Hong Kong in, uh, make sure I get it right, it's Dongguan, mm-hmm. uh, which is a city of about 45 million people. From what I saw, they have their own factory there. It's it's the factory only will be doing their their models, which is you know a, a lot of models to make in a year, you know, to keep a whole factory busy. Mm. Um, but it's a very modern place. It's everything's brand new, freshly painted. It's very bright, and even in terms of uh, what you might expect from you know the past twenty years or twenty years ago in Chinese factories, it's certainly come a long way. Mm. So I mean, having their own factory, I think, is for them is going to make make it a lot easier to ensure supply because they won't be, they won't be competing for machine time with other companies and either other, even other industries that aren't model railroad related. So I think that'll be good for them. But, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't experience the culture shock. I thought I might, uh, having that experience. And, um, I don't think, I don't think any of my, um, ideas about what it's like to make model trains in China were shattered by the, by the trip either. Uh, actually, actually, I think it was a little smaller scale than I would have thought. I, you know, you sometimes see photographs of of people and they're they're lined up at a workbench like forty deep, and and it, it wasn't that way at all. Uh, but certainly, the people who were uh, doing the work, if I had to sit down at a workbench with them and compete with them in a model contest, I might easily lose if they had the same materials I did because you know they they are very skilled at what they do. After a while, so in terms of the principles of the company, in terms of the founders and these kind of things, can you talk? About these folk at all? Well, the company is made up of uh, four individuals who came from Athern. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. So they have a lot of that experience in marketing and, and certainly a lot of experience in in the manufacturing end of it. So I think they're going to hit the ground running. Well, I can see already from what I've seen, they are going to hit the ground running with, with uh, what I think will be three products at 
at TrainFest to um, for people to see, uh, which you know for a company to launch and be able to show finished decorated samples of their models uh, is pretty amazing. Mm. It's it's pretty impressive. I think they would have actually liked to have been selling them there if they could have. But uh, from other things I saw in China, that would have been a very difficult thing for them to pull off. Um, there are you know uh, a thousand different things that can go wrong in the process. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's halfway around the world. So communication isn't good on Skype and there's a language barrier there because, you know, not everybody at the factory speaks good English. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, th- I think they've done a great job of, of uh, pulling off what they have. And uh, I'm excited to see people's reaction at TrainFest when they unveil it. So in terms of your documentary filming, is this going to be available through their website? Will this be available through Train Masters? How will folks actually get to experience what you've experienced in documentary form well if they go to either site they'll be able to watch it for free so if they go to the the scaletrains.com website there'll be a link there that will send people to train masters and we're going to make it available um, up till the end of the year mm-hmm. for free so the first uh the first episode part one should air around the 22nd of november mm. And then there'll be two more parts in December as as a follow up, and uh, the way it's looking now, it's going to be really difficult for me to keep it under an hour. There's just <laughs> there's so much to see. I, yes. I was looking at my my bins of footage, and I have so much to go through. Uh, don't don't call me for the next two weeks. Very good, very good. <laughs> but but I can say uh, one thing about China was the um, I was almost inspired to actually change <laughs> change my modeling interests because. You could really get caught up in Chinese railroads. Oh, we were yeah. lucky. We were lucky enough to take the train from uh, Hong Kong into the city uh, where the factory was, which was about a forty-five minute trip. Yes. Uh, you know, there's electric, there's diesel. Some stuff looks almost very North American. Yep. Uh, some equipment is very new, and there's a lot of stuff that's you know very derelict looking. Uh, you know, there's dining cars and sleepers. When people go home for the Chinese New Year, sometimes Certainly. it's a twenty-four hour trip yeah. to get there. Um, and, uh, even the, the amount of stuff that's trackside and the interesting, I mean, people's backyards back right up to the tracks and they're growing gardens right up, you know, to the fence. Mm. Um, and then next, next door to that is a factory, uh, or a building that's, that's falling down. I mean, the modeling interests, if for people who love signs, China's a great place because there's a sign on any wall that isn't covered in, in some kind of vegetation. <laughs> so about... Four years ago, and I'm trying to think of the gentleman's name, Haskell. He does Haskell locomotives in Australia. He sent me his, um, it's a Barkman publication, but it's about Chinese modeling. It's all in Chinese. Uh, but that was just amazing. And that was really at this, what it indicated to me, a starting point in terms of the hobby moving very laterally at a kind of perfect price point for folks to, to start modeling in China. What was interesting through the book was he took a lot of elements of North American modeling and there wasn't really an indigenous Chinese modeling community that he could draw upon at that time. But since then, model trains in China have just exploded. The Barkman was manufacturing a variety of kind of historical era trains that very similar to here, you know, people want to model what they knew in their early childhood or what their parents or grandparents told them about. But now it seems to be, as you say, the modern commuter services, all this kind of stuff you can buy uh, in China very readily. And I've really tried to do some outreach 
Paul Brian Hancock lives in Hong Kong. I've said to him, you know, can you get involved with any folk? Can you introduce them to Model Rail Radio? We did maybe within two years of starting the show have a Chinese caller when we were still on talk show. And unfortunately he called at the very end of the show and his, his English wasn't particularly good and it just didn't kind of work out. But this is a huge, potentially a huge market for model railroading that already the likes of Barkman and smaller Chinese manufacturers are getting into. And you're right. The vegetation alone is just absolutely fascinating. Well, it was it was a lot like uh, you know the eastern U.S. like Appalachia, uh, yeah. except except with these very tropical trees. Yeah, um, yeah. We were discussing while we were there what you know a, a model railroad community might might look like, and you know because there's you know everyone's crammed in and there's so little space. I I said suggested that certainly clubs would be huge, and uh, I, I tend to think that uh, that the Chinese are more social. <laughs> Than we are, and, and probably clubs would work very well. But I, I don't, you know, fully understand the culture, so that might be a big stretch on my part. But I, I think that's about the only way you could do it in that in that part of the world. Hey, Barry Clark. Hey, uh, this well, and for Tom too. This is why the NMRA has a fantastic uh, association with the group in China. Matter of fact, uh, I forget the numbers. Uh, Charlie Getz wrote about it. When we sort of came up with the, with an agreement with them, if I remember right, and don't hold me to every word I'm saying here, when they, they actually sent a gentleman, uh, uh, who lives in the United States, but frequently travels back to China. And he came and he made a, um, small presentation and, and watched us. And basically he, they want to build, um, the NMRA in China. And they believe so strongly in the NMRA, um, I'll say stats, but that's not the wrong, the right term. The, um, NMRA uh, standards that they want the Chinese, uh, equipment to run to NMRA standards. Mm-hmm. And, um, it, it's amazing. Uh, I know, uh, Charlie was in China, um, not too long ago and apparently the minister of transport or Minister of Railways is actually a member of this group. Wow. So I, I don't know. I, is, is it the same gauge as, as yes. North American? Yeah, it oh. is. I mean, okay. Bachman basically sells the track. So, you know, it's... it's the yeah, same. Bachman is yeah. one of the big uh, makers in China of their own equipment. Yeah. Hmm. So does that mean that the NMRA will eventually become the IMRA? I mean, it, I, it seems that the more the NMRA goes out to these other countries. I mean, usually it has North American prototype requirement associated well, it, with the local clubs. It, but Yeah, we've looked into this before, and in a lot of countries, you cannot have international in, in a club heading. Hmm. Um, it's like in, same thing in, um, in Holland. You cannot have, I think it's national. Hmm. It's outlawed by the government. Mm. Um, most, and when we talk to a lot of people about this, cause we had some, a lot of discussion to change it to the International, uh, Model Railroad Association, but you can't do it. And a lot of people, as you just said, when the, like the people in Britain, we asked them and they said, no, we are North American modelers. Mm. So we, that's what our focus is. So we want to become, we want to belong to the North American Model Railroad Association, basically. Mm. And it was very interesting, uh, all the, the comments that was heard. 
Um, and uh, so we kind of just um, have continued. Well, maybe you just drop the first letter entirely and just be the Model Rail Association. Well, that's that's another one. <laughs> or you could be the interplanetary. Model. Yes, yes, yes. 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 Then you have to change it for a thousand years <laughs> <laughs> until we land on Mars. Yeah. What interests me in particular associated with China is just bridging the language gap, which is certainly something that I've tried to do with Model Rail Radio, and certainly I've had folks aside from the fellow that called in contact me, but there is still a language divide, particularly associated with the books and the resources, and Bachman got in early with this. But it's fascinating now, the ramp-up of manufacturing of local Chinese prototypes, with the view that clearly there are a number of folk that are, you know, getting together, but this kind of communication, it's wonderful that Charlie's actually going over with this express purpose, because we have so much information here which unfortunately is language inaccessible currently. And Bachman has started associated with some of this translation and uh, the Haskell guy, whose name unfortunately I can't remember, you know, was a, was a starting point in this as well. But fascinating times. Always a pleasure chatting, Barry. I'm really looking forward to seeing this launch and uh, in particular documentary because Chinese manufacturing, we hear about it. We kind of see, as you say, you know, the iPhone being manufactured and various other you know, large-scale manufacturing, but to get it in a kind of model rail size and also to alleviate some of the concerns I think that folks have historically had with Chinese manufacture based on the Atlas experience and the other smaller manufacturers that have had problems. Going to be interesting times, Barry. I'm really looking forward to seeing this documentary when you produce it. Well, so am I. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for having me in. So, Clark, you are going to be retiring. Yes. Yippee. <laughs> and you are going to be moving to what some have described. Not me. Not me. I wouldn't besmirch where you're moving to. But others within the model railroading hobby have a, a wager going currently associated with how long that you'll actually stay in this area. Um, <laughs> but moving on from that, you are going to be moving to a relatively remote part of Canada, I understand. Uh, well, it, it all depends on your, <laughs> on your, uh, focus, but yes, it's fairly, uh, it's a small community of about, uh, 12,000 people in, uh, Northern Ontario. And, uh, matter of fact, I'm there now. So oh, wow. the internet works. Very good. Um, uh, matter of fact, and I was at the train club, uh, today with a bunch of guys and, uh, oh. we had a lot of fun and, um, trains were running and, we were had a big discussion on DCC, and a lot of those guys are uh, buying um, a power cab from uh, NCE so they can start their home layouts on it. And Very good. So we had a lot of fun today. So you're doing all the missionary-related stuff that we'd assume from Clark Coding. In terms of this club, what are they modeling? Um, well, right now they have the HO Railway That Grows <laughs> in HO. Um they, we have, there's a number, there's about three British uh, gentlemen in the club, and they model uh, British equipment at home mm. and North American stuff at the club. And then there's a couple of N-scale fellows that have N-scale at home. So they're all uh, kind of doing the club thing. And But they're, how can I say it? I think they're 
looking at um, developing maybe a modular group. Mm. And I was really excited to hear that. So, um, matter of fact, I was talking to a fellow today um, who has been a, he's a lifetime member of the NMRA and probably one of the only guys I knew up here. Mm. Um, and he lives in a little town called Blind River. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he knows the guys quite well in uh, Sault Ste. Marie. Mm. And uh, I know the guys in Sudbury, so we're gonna try and and we're right in the middle in Elliott Lake. Mm-hmm. It's about an hour fifty minutes to each uh, community, so mm. um, we're gonna try and get everybody together, and uh, hopefully um, we can get a bunch of guys to build modules in in each group, mm-hmm. and maybe over the year uh, we would you know have a module get together in each sort of town. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. So, so, uh, so a, done. a question from the chat, a yes, posting sir. question from the chat, the basement of your new abode. Yes. <laughs> I have about 1300 square feet. Um, that's finished. Um, now that includes the bathroom and everything, mm-hmm. but I have a laundry room, which is, um, very nice and neat and all finished and, Really, the washer dryer only take up a small segment of it, and PJ has gonna. I'm gonna put the HO and three layout in here, mm. and then I have a ON thirty shelf layout, which is gonna go inside my TV den area, and then I have the the new modern HO layout is gonna go in a uh, uh, basically it's thirteen by twenty six foot mm. finished room, mm. so. Um, I'm uh, going to build a Northern Ontario kind of HO modern railway in there. Mm. What kind of industries? Um, a lot of it is, uh, well, the one town that's fairly close here and I'm kind of looking at it, it's ba- it's going to be based on the Huron Central. Um, and they're kind of in the doghouse because they last Monday they had a big derailment in Spanish Ontario. Mm. Um, they lost 13 cars. <laughs> and uh, when I came by there today, they had them all up on the track and uh, three locomotives were sitting there. So mm. they're, they're putting together the rail, but um, it's basically, uh, it goes from Sudbury to the Sault Ste. Marie. And a lot of it is uh, coil cars, uh, pulp wood, because there is a very large uh, um, paper manufacturer along the line, and uh, they service that. So there's pulp, there's newsprint cars, there's all kinds of cars going in. Uh, lime slurry mm. is a big uh, com- commodity uh uh going up and down that line, and um, a little bit of everything. Lime slurry. Yes. Hmm. The Maple Leaf Mafia no doubt need a lot of lime slurry, I'm assuming. <laughs> lime slurry. Um I I I was I wondered what the heck do they do with lime slurry? It's used actually in all kinds of things. Cosmetic industry uses mm-hmm. it. Uh pulp and paper uses it. Mm-hmm. For whitening. Yes, certainly. Then it's also used in scrubbing coal-fired generators. Ooh, okay. And when you do that, it turns into another product called gypsum. Yeah, gypsum. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. So in terms of this amazing amount of space that you have and this amazing amount of time that you have, 
<laughs> what What are you going to attack first? Uh, just moving boxes. Fair enough. <laughs> My time so far has been spent uh, getting, you know, uh, shelving up in the garage and and I built a, a cutting area for, for my saws and that so I can cut all the wood basically outside in the garage and then lug it in. Um, next weekend I'm, or not next weekend because I'll be in train fest, but mm-hmm. the following week I will be bringing up the HO and three-way out and basically all the boxes that are left to move, uh, which will go basically in a, in a regular cargo van. Mm-hmm. And then um, uh, we'll be basically moved up here. And uh, I have to be at work for the 26th uh, to sign some papers and hopefully get my last few paychecks and turn in my keys. And then they want to take me out for uh, for some wings and beer, which will be fun. So, cool. um, And then on the 27th, we're going to drive up here and uh, we'll be here for good. Now the 28th, I... <laughs> The model train club we're putting on a public display. <laughs> Gosh. So I'm I'm helping out with that. And uh so it's gonna be a busy time. And then I've got some NMRA stuff that I've been kind of putting off. I've been doing some NMRA work uh to make especially stuff that uh, involves, you know, immediate stuff, but I've got a lot of NMRA stuff that I'm really have started, but I really think in January, I can really push it ahead, and um, including having you know NMRA radio or whatever we're going to call it. Mm. Um, and I know a lot of the guys have been sending me and asking me questions about the AP uh, program that I have, and that's pretty well done. I just have to um, really put it on Dropbox or something like that. So guys can get the information and then we can go from there. So in January, it's going to be pretty exciting. I think there's going to be a lot of stuff, uh, coming out, um, as far as the Anna Marie, uh, goes and some new stuff. And I think people will be pretty happy with it. So I had dinner with Jim Gore last night. Yes. And where did you meet Jim in California? Yeah, he was in Sacramento. He has, he has a, a little business here annually associated with the water, the disappearance of the water in California. Right. So, yeah, I, having, having missed him at Portland, I thought this is just, I can't go another year without meeting Jim Gore. So we schlepped up to Sacramento. My wife, unfortunately, was exhausted, so she stayed in the hotel room. And, and Jim and I went out for the much-anticipated Vietnamese meal that we had been hoping to do in Portland. And we talked a little bit, just a little bit about the NMRA. We had so many other things to cover, but Jim lamented a phenomena currently, which I think I kind of countered that by talking about some of the local guys in the Bay Area who are in their 20s and early 30s that are coming to the hobby with just amazing modeling skills and just refining their skills very quickly. But Jim lamented that he went to a regional show and the number of models that were in the whatever it's called, the contest room. What's what's the politically correct term for the contest yeah. room? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, celebration of The celebration room, yes. Anyway, he said that there weren't as many as he had anticipated. In fact, it was a very small number. And I said, well, how does this translate associated with the NMRA? I mean, obviously the MMR program is very popular amongst a certain group in the hobby. But in terms of encouraging people, particularly younger folk, when I'm saying younger folk, I'm almost embarrassed to say it with regards to 20 and 30-year-olds, but people of that age group, 
Is there any outreach to move these folk into the MMR program? I think a lot of it um, is a lot of these guys are uh, railroad prototype guys, mm. younger guys, mm-hmm. and that's great. I I have no like I I really love that stuff actually, and I think if you can show them that what they're doing can still be applied to the MMR program, mm-hmm. I think it'll be an easy slide. But I think a lot of the old guys go, oh, you know, the MMR they judge you. And um, so guys go, oh, I don't want to be judged. Mm-hmm. And I think I think that you have to get over that hurdle that really, um, yes, in a contest, so to speak, you're judged against other models. But in the AP program, you're you're judged against the score sheet. Mm. And, you know, you you're judged against that score sheet and you're not competing. You're only competing with yourself. Mm. And I think that um, if that gets out and you and you say to guys, if you really want to get better, compete against yourself. Mm. And guys go, oh, so I'm not going to be embarrassed because I only got so many points and the other guy got. No, you you can um, do that and and not be embarrassed if you if you feel. But a lot of these guys. Their models are fantastic, and mm. they don't—they'll never be embarrassed. Yes. You know? Yeah. Now I see. Uh, sorry, Stuart uh, Sterling says that the MMR program have their own section on the website. Um, it is. It's on under under uh, AP program, and in the members only section, there is a forum as well that you can ask uh, questions. Clark. Always a pleasure chatting with you. We've got a bunch of folk on. All yes. the best with the move. All the best with everything that you're doing. I'm hoping 2016 will be the year that podcasting is officially recognised within the Achievement Program as a long-time editor and producer of podcasts. I think uh, it's certainly an interesting way to get people excited and involved in the hobby. And I always reach back to Matt Goodman as being the first person who at least admitted joining the NMRA based on Model Rail Radio. Yeah, and and I think we've gained a lot of members, and I and I truly, and I thank you for that, and and the others who are members here who who persuade non-members to join, and I think we should definitely, uh, um, matter of fact, I'll uh, I'll put a little buzz out there, see if I can't get that, uh, see if I can't get a review on that. Hmm. It'd be wonderful to have at least one certificate on my wall associated <laughs> with this thing. So. Um. Tom. Jim Lincoln. How are you doing? I apologize for breaking in, and I apologize, Clark, if I'm stepping on you, but my understanding was that podcasting was acceptable. I um, heard, they, heard, have, they have talked about it, and I, I don't know if they've actually nailed down the requirements yet, Jim. I could be wrong. I, uh, it, it's, the only reason I say it is because it was on the Model Railcast show, the person who's in charge of the Frank Bosch? No, it wasn't him. It was somebody else. But they, they said that they had uh, – what it was is hosts get to count a certain number of points and guests. Tom, you're well beyond – you could at least get that one from my understanding of that model railcast show. You, if you ask um, Tim Harrison, he might remember specifically. But uh, – yeah, if you go back, I, to the- I, I, I listened to that show, and my understanding was that that was the proposal 
as opposed to what had actually been ratified, hence me talking to Clark about it here. I thought it had been ratified. Well, okay. they, so one of us is right. Or none of us is right. Or both of us are right. So. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah that would be, it would be under uh, author, I believe. Yes, that's certainly where I was thinking. Yeah, it was under author. Oh. It was under author. Sorry. Well, a little homework for you, Clark Cooning. All the best with the move. I can't imagine what retirement must feel like. It's just on the horizon. Well, but, uh, I, I don't know myself, so um, hang on. And, uh, <laughs> and for those going to Train Fest, uh, make sure you drop by where I'm going to be at the Fast Tracks booth and at the NMRA booth. So um, drop by and please say hello because we would love to, uh, to meet you if I haven't met you. And uh, um, we can talk about all kinds of things. Always a pleasure, Clark. All the best with the move. I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Thank you, sir. Good night. I'd like to welcome someone who continues, even in shows that he's not on, to be represented in show titles. Jim Lincoln, what has been going on with your model railroading hobby? A little bit. You know, the, the ongoing saga of the freight cars when mm-hmm. I want to work on them. And I know that just the whole conversation of boxcars just bores people to tears. But uh, I won't get into that. I'm actually, between that, I'm I'm also working on a, um, a kit bashing project. Mm. Taking, it's actually inspired from a model railroader article. Mm. Where a couple of months ago, I forget which episode, what uh, month it was. But um, somebody took a um, an Atherin Trinity 5161 hopper and cut it down to make it a 3281. Uh, before, I'm I'm guessing he wrote the article before the beautiful model came out mm. from a model. So, um, however, that does not exist in O scale. So I took the Atlas O scale Trinity hopper and did the same thing. Wow! All right, I'm in the process of doing oh, okay. This. I'm in, the, I'm in the process of doing it. So it's the, the car is spliced together, and the, the seam has been filled and everything. Now the tricky bit is doing the roof locks and things like that. So it got kind of bogged down. And then I, then I have to design something in 3D to fix a part, and that slows things down. And um, On another note, some people know I got a CNC machine. Yeah, I was going to ask you. That was my next question, Jim. Yeah, I, I did CNC a part for this project. Uh, it's not as pre- I'm having issues with the machine. It's not as precise as I would like. It's mm. off like thirty thousands, which you know, if you're CNCing a you know a, a a window frame, it doesn't make any difference. If you're CNCing a an O scale car, at thirty thousands is huge. <laughs> um, a little disappointed there. I don't know if I can get that fixed. Uh, however, in the process of that, somebody contacted me and said, "What are you fiddling around with a CNC machine for? I have an I have access to an industrial grade 3D printer. Ooh, yeah, one one that that one that can 3D print an entire O scale car at once. Ooh, yeah. And I said, Yeah, yeah, right, right, whatever. I, let let me send you a sample part. I the, I got the part back, and it's beautiful. Mm. What the best 3D printed part I got I had seen 
was the one from Peter Semple's machine, desktop machine, uh, which took him 11 hours to print. <laughs> this one was better, and it took 45 minutes. Yes. Yeah. It's all moving in the right direction, Jim Lincoln. It's yeah. all moving in the right direction. Yeah. So when I got that part back, I was like, okay, I'm sold. <laughs> Very good. Very no more good. CNC foolishness. Um, but other than that, um, not a whole lot. You know, not a whole lot, just... So the reason that you are in the show title for the last show was because Anders Verton was uh-huh. having some track problem and uh-huh. he, he reached out to the travelling turnout priest who now does virtual home visits, according <laughs> to Anders. Uh-huh. If, if folks want some Jim Lincoln-style experience, are you contacted frequently by people that listen to the show and just say, what would Jim Lincoln do in this circumstance? Um... It just so happened I was on, Anders saw that I was online, uh-huh. and he pinged me and said, uh, can, I t- can I ask you a couple of questions? And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and I, I don't know if I helped or not, but um, I was like, uh, yeah, you can't do that. He's like, well, what if I do it? No. And I, as I recall, I was like, no, I hate to break this to you, but that doesn't work that way. Mm. <laughs> You're going you're gonna to have to do something you don't like. And he says, unless you're willing to pay me to fly to your house to fix it. Yeah. He says, uh, you know, if you're going to pay the plane ticket and everything like that, I'll fly to your house and fix it for you. But since that's probably not going to happen. But uh, he could send you the track, right? I mean, he could send you something that you could work on. No, as I recall, he had glued something down. Oh, yes. I think it was a Pico turnout. As I, as I recall, and I'm, and he can, he will correct me, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe he had glued down a Pico turnout or something along those lines, and the s- spring had busted. Mm. And I was like, the only way to get at that is to flip the turnout over. Well, I can't do that because it's glued down. Mm. Well, it was along those lines. You're uh, giving a lot more details than Anders did, understandably so. Mm-hmm. I'm probably wrong, but it had something to do with. He w- if he had been able to flip the turnout over, he probably could have done what he needed to. Um, and he was asking me questions that I was like, it was hard to visualize. And I'm like, I don't think you can do that. But uh, I gave him a couple ideas, apparently. Yep. So, you certainly did. You certainly did. Jim I didn't, Lincoln? E- I didn't even notice what the title was. Oh, <laughs> the new one. The one that just came out today. Oh. Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh. I can't even recall what the title was. Can you read out the title for my benefit? Uh, uh, oops, wait a minute. Um, this takes a second. Jim Lincoln had had nothing. Jim, Jim Lincoln, Lincoln had nothing. I think that's Jim the title, Lincoln right? Nothing. I think that's what I said. I was like, I got nothing for you. Very good. And that's memorialized now in a show title. So if you're ever curious how Jim Lincoln gets into show titles on shows that he's not even on, that has been explained. Jim, always a pleasure chatting with you. It's Thank getting you, to that year. It's getting sorry. It's getting to that time of the year, not the not the holiday period, but that show one hundred time of the year. My wife's sensitive to it. She said to me, "You're not going to be recording like a nine ten hour show in January, are you?" And I said, "No, it's every hundred shows." I know we have on Bruce Kelly. I know Bruce Kelly was emphatic that I should do this kind of human juggling act on an annual basis, but it's going to be every hundred shows. But yeah. It, this time of year does remind me of when you came to stay, Jim Lincoln. Well, I appreciate that. I, I would tend to think that your wife's opinion is, 
I can only deal with almost dying once every five years. Yeah. I mean, Jane, her lungs, as she regularly points out, have never been the same since. But I don't know. I, I think there are a variety of causal factors that caused <laughs> Oh, no. And we probably shouldn't even talk about this ever again, because... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, what, what can you do? Um, exactly. And, you know, I was actually, I was almost on the verge of going to Trainfest. Oh, wow. And because when I looked at it, because I've driven to St. Louis mm-hmm. this year, and Milwaukee is actually closer than St. Louis, I wouldn't have thought it. Um, but I'm giving a clinic next weekend at the um, New Jersey... Uh, RPM meet. So I was like, oh, sorry. Yeah, Train Fest, it's interesting. Well, both the New Jersey RPM meet and Train Fest are doing a lot more associated with their online publicity this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, Train Fest describes itself online to be bigger than Springfield. Well, without saying it explicitly, they just say like things that sound like they're bigger than Springfield. So, yeah, interesting times for online media. And look, the New Jersey stuff that seems to be coming through, that whole area seems to be having a number of shows. Is it all, it's not just all Norm Wolf, right? There are a bunch of other people no. that are contributing to this. Oh, no, this is um, Ted Dior- Diorio. Okay. Yeah, Ted Diorio is the one that deals with that meet. Um, it's the MARPM that nor- is Norm Wolf. Yeah, certainly. certainly. Uh, and then there was, I guess there was two weeks ago, there was an NMRA show in southern New Jersey. This is kind of up in more towards the middle, towards um, uh, Jersey City, uh, Princeton. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so it's up uh, nor- more northern. Um, and, yeah, it's uh, Ted DiOrio. And he's been very good about spamming everything. Uh, any, any group that's remotely related to model railroading, he's like, hey, come to the show. Because he, uh, he organizes the whole thing. He does a really nice job. Uh, it's held at the school that he works at, mm. and it's only a one-day show. It's a one-day show like you'd think of, and then Sunday is, um, uh, you know, operating sessions and mm. show, layout tours and stuff like that. Tony Custer's, um, Tony Custer's layout will be on the tour mm. uh, on Sunday. Those will come to the show, um, and you can come see me. Nine o'clock in the morning. So Stuart Baker notes, Train Fest trademark is America's largest operating railroad show. Mm, I'd probably say that's correct. Uh, from what I understand, Train Fest um, has more operating layouts mm-hmm. than Springfield does. Springfield has more uh, vendors. Mm. Yep. You, you know the 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 people where you, you know. Springfield is a place you go and you save up your money to go get a deal. Certainly. That's, you know, so. And there are some extremely good deals at Springfield. Um, just, you know, from what I've heard, Trains Fest is more layouts. There are a lot of layouts at Springfield, but it's really more about buying stuff. Certainly. Certainly. Jim, we're in a tight club tonight. Yep. Lots of folks on. Always a pleasure chatting. Always. Have fun in New Jersey. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> One gentleman I've been looking forward to talking to for quite some time is Stephen Vaughan Jr., primarily because Dave Barraza. I had a chance to meet Dave Barraza at Portland. One of the first questions I asked him is, how much is Stephen Vaughan Jr. 
corrupting you associated with the garden lout. Stephen, always a pleasure chatting. What's going on with your model railroading hobby? Oh, I got, I, uh, just recently bought a roundhouse uh, Sandy River 262 Ooh. Uh, that I always wanted. And the funny story about this was uh, my father went to a live steam meet, saw the gentleman from the train department, thought had my email address, thought it was him, emailed it to me, told me the price. And I was like, that's a really good deal. And, <laughs> and so, so uh, much to my uh, wife's displeasure, it showed up on the doorstep two weeks later. So what is so, a really good deal for you, Stephen? Uh, that was 1800 bucks. Okay. Good to uh, know. But if you bought it new, it would have been 3600 So Ah, that is a really good deal. Yeah. So it was a, <laughs> it was a bucket list engine, and I wanted it, and I couldn't pass it up, and I figured out a few ways to get it, get it here. Very good. So. Very good. So in terms of Dave Barraza, you guys have spent a bit of time together. Yep. Have you seen his backyard? Have you seen his garden? I have not, although it sounds like it might be hillier than mine. Interesting. Uh, um, which I told him when we were at uh, Dave Ramos's uh, uh, Highline uh, mm-hmm. tour. Uh, I told him, I said, "You just got to do it." You know, you had a couple retaining walls, a you know, a, a bridge to go to the next section, yeah. retaining walls. You can, it can be done. And you know, he asked if the if they can go uphill. They can. They, you know, the I. Used to hate the remote control, but actually the Sandy River engine now comes with remote control, and I kind of got acclimated to that. And it's mm-hmm. it's really nice how you can manipulate, you know, the steam pressure Certainly. with the variations in the terrain. Because even my little flat deck isn't a perfect, uh, even a perfect flat surface. It's got a little uh, bobs and weaves in it that, you know, all of a sudden the engine starts taking off or slows mm-hmm. down a little. So you got to add a little bit more steam pressure. So it's certainly like something that can be done. It's just a matter of how creative you want to get. And if you look online, there's especially in the UK, you know, there's oh, yeah. these, you know they got these garden beds that then all of a sudden it's it's you know planks and you know wood tables and then back to the garden bed. Mm. So it's doable. It's just a matter of being imaginative. The garden layout UK guys lament their flatness, and they actually talk about friends that have made like artificially hilly stuff. Just so they can, because I mean, obviously as you get older, getting down to ground level to do steaming up and these kind of things is problematic. But if you have hills, you can probably create like traversing stuff where, and particularly with retaining walls as well, you can kind of raise certain areas where it's probably actually a lot easier to run live steam at a level which is, you know, sufficient where you don't have to be getting down on your knees and kind of fiddling around on the ground. So it might actually have some advantages. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'll never put I'll never put a tr- a layout lower than what it is now. It'll always be mine right now stands probably mid thigh. I would I would like it higher, but it is what it is, and it's certainly better than below the knees. I mean, you can't beat that, you yeah. know. And I I'll never put my stuff on the ground because you know even bending over now stinks, <laughs> you know. So now you have this new locomotive. Is it um? encouraging you to expand your existing loop oh yeah <laughs> yes uh probably next summer i will probably start making the dive for the uh uh for the backyard as i said and i told my wife um we have a swing set for our two little boys and i showed her about the level i said the track will make it just between where the you know legs of the swing set and the fence is because mm. we have a really small backyard but at the 
the decking where I'll have that'll go right up against the fencing will make it right through and I'll have plenty of clearance. So I'm not, I'm not too worried about the swing set being there or not being there. So I'm, uh, I'm making my stake and I'm, I'm, I'm going to plant it next uh, year and start surveying and start getting it going. So it's just a matter of saving up and going to Springfield and getting a good deal on track. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's, uh, cause it'll be, that's what's, that's, what's going to be the bear of it is, uh, is the, you know, linear footage, a good deal on eBay for an LGB track is like, you know, it's a hundred dollars for every 24 feet. So, you know, That's it could be, cheap. well, yeah, it, but it can, you know, when you're talking about, you know, it's a 40 foot run, I guess width, and then it'll be about, yeah, it's probably about a 40 by 40 square, mm. you know, the trying to gets, gets yeah. somewhat pricey. Certainly. But I mean, if you, if you drop, $1,800 on a locomotive, it's going to be cheaper like, at least than the locomotive. It, well, it's justifying it to my wife, that's the issue. Certainly. But I'm sure you can build, like, a nice little doghouse that you can just live in out amongst the train stuff, and I'm sure it'll all work out. Absolutely. So, <laughs> so in terms of folks in your area, apparently Ron Close has met you as well. Yep. So, yep. yeah, you, you're getting well-known in the area, and I've, I think somehow I've seen... I've seen Ron Kleiss has an area that would be perfectly suited for a garden land as well. You've got many fertile folk in your area to be seeing with these kind of uh, crazy ideas. Uh, believe me, Tom, I look out my back window almost every day and go, hmm, uh, that, that would look really good for a trestle bridge. And, yes. You know, going behind the fish pond and yeah. all that stuff. But... The wallet says no. <laughs> <laughs> it even appears to me to be that kind of bad influence friend associated with these kind of things. I've just talked to Dave Brazzer about it, but I certainly see him as the kind of bad influence friend in these circumstances. So, Stephen, for folks listening in, I mean, obviously, you and Dave Brazzer have spent time together. You've met Ron Kleiss, this kind of stuff. Dave Brazzer is pretty serious about this garden layout. I mean, he, he has an idea. He's got a space. In terms of getting folks such as Dave actually building the garden layouts of their dreams, what's the next step for Dave Brazzer? Is it having you over? Is it having you walk around and point at various areas? Or what, what do you think Dave Brazzer should be doing? Well, I think it's just coming up with, with something small, you know, to, to tackle initially and then being able to expand on the idea. Mm. I got, I haven't seen Dave's property, unfortunately. I, I'm curious to get up there when I get to see it and, you know, I would imagine the way he said it is it might just need to be building a couple planters, you know, filling them in and and going from planter one to planter two to, pl you know, to planter three. And, um, you know, you just start off small and you just keep going. And it's, uh, you know, if it, you can expand on the road, if it's just making a, a big circle, you know, so you can get into the steam and hobby and then just keep building. He certainly can do it. Like, it, you know, a lot of people who do it on the decking, you know, just build these deck, you know, trestles and frames and you know build the these tracks it's you know not necessarily right in the garden and not on the it's just on the wood decking per se so it's uh it's certainly doable no matter where you do it you know i think i've even seen videos on youtube where the elevation of the track comes up to my you know my height and i'm over six feet tall mm. you know it's so not that i would be comfortable with that but <laughs> yes. you know it's it's uh especially with an engine, if it, something happened. But yeah. it it is doable. I mean, it is something that people have done. Um, so it's just a matter of tackling it, finding something, and saying, well, this is, this is easy to accomplish. Let's do this. 
and then expanding off the off the uh off it. it's like me i re- i literally raised my original setup three inches so that i could expand it so mm. i ripped out a whole thing down elevated it and mirror and basically mirror copy of what it was elevated it three inches so that eventually i can go around the whole uh around the whole yard when that'll happen hopefully next year but you know we'll see Mm. so in terms of your radiuses for your current loop let's call it a loop what what are the radiuses that you have currently uh those will be it was the i'll probably stay around six and a half foot diameter um i don't ever plan on running big big stuff i mean my my father has some big engines and it probably will not get they will probably not to get be able to run down here mm-hmm. uh the nice thing about the roundhouse engine is that it will actually take four foot diameter lgb track they wow. say it will do it which is it's amazing you know it's a 262 and it's mm-hmm. like really that'll you know and i like the smaller little you know whimsical engines the little plantation engines and uh the one to 29 dock side that i have mm-hmm. so will i have a daylight running back here probably not you know um but uh you know that's fine by me because it's I like those little engines and there's a lot yeah. to do with scratch building for you know the rolling stock and stuff like that. So and uh, you know though right now that that roundhouse engine scales out to one to nineteen scale. Mm. Uh, so it you know there's it you know I'll make some I hope the vision is to one day make some actual to scratch build some cars down the road for that, but. Uh, you know, the one to twenty-three plantation engine goes around the small radius curves. So, I'm I'm thrilled with that. I'm you know realistic that getting you know ten foot uh, diameter curves in the, my backyard is just it takes up it'll take up too much away from too much living space. Certainly. So Certainly. Uh, you know if I can get it tighter into the corners, per, I'm fine with it. You know, so that six and a half foot, maybe eight foot is uh, the sweet spot you know, for me. Hmm. Yeah, I certainly have space in my back garden to do something like this. Just do it. Yeah, I, I think it's it's a matter of a uh, well. Ultimately, I need to. I need to. I've got um, the bogies and actually a couple of wood kits for some UK prototype. Actually, I think it's Welsh prototype um, stuff that I purchased maybe three, four years ago on a whim because the company in the UK was going out of business and got all these emails saying you better get in quick and this kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, I think, um, it's always been on the tip of my, the main thing is I have a great uncle who's still alive, who had, uh, not live steam as in locomotives, but had live steam as in kind of mechanical stuff working. Yeah. And he's, uh, a very feisty fellow who's now back in contact with me via email. Um, <laughs> and you know, he seems to have had a perfectly nice life, not burnt in any way or anything <laughs> like this. So yeah, interesting times to interesting times oh uh, you know and the nice thing about the small stuff is i mean you could technically if you had a flat part of your backyard put it up on a couple portable you know plastic tables you know just to get it get started with it you know that's one thing i've always thought when i had a rip up track i have a, a flat patio that's you know only nine feet wide i was like well worst case scenario if i get the you know i get some tables set up and i put the track on mm-hmm. and everything levels out you could still run the trains totally. you know so it is doable certainly well, Stephen, yeah. I like the fact that you are a negative influence in multiple participants' lives associated with these <laughs> things. I will continue to track it. Thank you very much for calling in this evening. Oh, thank you, Tom.
So, yeah, I got your Facebook update today associated with, was it six 13-year-old girls? Wrong class. Yes, my, my ears are done ringing. Very good. I'm amazed, actually, that you're calling into Mongolia Radio. I was imagining kind of darkened room, maybe some scotch, maybe some kind of heavy uh, headache medication, something like that. But a pleasure to have you on, Ron. In terms of your model railroading hobby, I've been being seeded by various photographs, various kinds of things. You built a boat? Am I right in that? Oh, I've done a lot of things. Um, yep, yeah, back in, uh, I guess it was uh, right after Springfield, I uh, got a boat at Springfield and I built that. That was from Seaport Model Works. Beautiful. First time I ever dealt with doing uh, resin kits. And I'm really pleased with the hell that turned out. I've been uh, taking pictures of that. Um Modeling-wise, I mean, I was away from my layout. Tonight is the first time I'm actually working on the layout tonight, listening into the uh, show tonight. So pretty excited about that. I was actually sitting at my workbench a lot, getting things done, building models, building structures, uh, working on some cars. I built a nice downtown deco model. Um, first time I dealt with uh, uh, hydrocal kits. Mm. That, was, that was an interesting build. I've never done that before. Not sure if it's going to be my first, my first and last, but it'll be my first uh, for a while with Hydrocal. It was an interesting uh, experiment. It turned out great. It just the way it it's hard to work with because there's no flexibility. Once you glue it, those walls are where they're going to be. You can't flex them like you know wood kits or plastic kits. <laughs> if it's misaligned, um, you're stuck with where it is because that Hydrocal. If you try and flex it, it's going to break on you. So, you know, that was a nice build. Done a lot of uh, uh, railroading out in the, you know, in the community with uh, Dave Ramos's Highline Tour. Mm-hmm. That's where I met Stephen and, and Dave Braza and, and of course, Dave and, um, you know, a bunch of good guys. That was a really nice day. Beautiful weather. I brought my son with me. Oh, yeah. We had a great time. We had a nice meal at the end. Um, after that, him and I, we walked around New York a little bit. Tried to hop on the uh, on the subway, but of course, for some reason, every subway that we wanted to go onto with that line was closed. So we ended up walking a lot. Um, I had a nice NMRA uh, regional meet in South Jersey, and got to meet Larry Larry Eggering. That was a that was cool, and we operated um, down at Ralph De Blasi's house, mm-hmm. and that was a that was great because I saw Ralph's uh, layout. I did a video, I guess, about a year year and a half ago or so. And I didn't get to see any trains run at the time. It just wasn't ready for running. For, but I uh, got to run trains across it and met a bunch of great people. He had an open house during that that uh, NMRA meet. Met some a bunch of great guys. Saw some great clinics. You know, it was it was a lot of a lot of activity past few uh, past few months. Was Ralph's videographer there? I think the guy's name's Joe from memory. Well, his his friend Joe was there, but the guy that um. Does the video? No, he wasn't there. I think he was there on Sunday. I was there Friday afternoon. Aha. Uh-huh. Interesting. Interesting. So, as Ralph isn't on, we could talk about him in his absence. What has changed with his layout? Uh, a lot more scenery. Mm-hmm. It seems like he uh, he worked a lot of kinks out of the um, the uh, CTC machine, which was pretty cool. I, I he, It's up in his living room. I When I heard him say that for the first time a couple of years ago, I'm thinking, oh, this guy's his wife has got, you know, got to be a saint. And this guy's nuts. Put a CTC machine in his living room. And sure enough, it's up there in his living room. And you're down there talking on radios and stuff, down in his layout, running trains and stuff. And uh, it worked pretty well. There was a couple little hiccups here and there. But uh, 
I mean, it, it's a pretty neat machine. I mean, the, the layout looks great. Uh, where he has the scenery done, um, it's it's beautiful. He does great work, and he's really true to the Lehigh Valley. He certainly is. So, in terms of the winter months, what are your plans associated with your lab? Well, I actually, I, I did get some scenery done. Um, my daughter finally talked me into getting scenery. I know I was on here for a while saying, you know, you would say, what's, what's up for, what's your plans? What's your plans? And I would say, oh, I'm probably going to do scenery. And of course I didn't do any scenery. Hmm. And, you know, my daughter and she looks at me and dad goes, dad, let's do scenery on the layout. I'm like, okay, sure. So what, what you couldn't get accomplished, uh, my daughter did in a simple little question. So you, you see who has the power. Certainly. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm all team Rachel. Don't argue with me. I'm all team Rachel. Yeah. <laughs> she's awesome. Yeah. She's, she's all, she helped me with a, uh, a presentation I did actually this past Tuesday with the YouTube model builders guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did a little presentation on the basics of scenery and doing some of the, uh, cardboard lattice and, uh, plaster and you know, foam forms and stuff like that for getting the base of your scenery down. And she was my videographer. She was, there, you know, taking great video and helping me out, and she's she's all about it. It's cool. My son's all about the operations. She's all about the scenery. Very cool. Very cool. Ron Kleiss, always a pleasure chatting. And uh, yeah, please do keep posting the Facebook photos because uh, I'm interested in seeing the scenery kind of progress. You know, over time, time yep. lapse style. Yeah, it'd be wonderful to see what you're what you're up to. Yep, I got a six and a half foot. Uh, mountain behind me that I have to start uh, actually making green and lush. So you'll be seeing that, guys. Don't worry. Very cool. Very cool. Well, thanks for calling in, Ron. I don't want to take you away from your spiking, so return to your spiking, and please feel free to uh, to unmute if something comes up that you'd like to contribute to. Excellent. No problem. Thanks, Tom. See you guys. like to welcome on some my wife is now becoming a fan of yours ralph renzetti oh really yes she got a ralph renzetti dvd in i think it was a could have been woodland scenics no it was a it was train masters tv it was yes so my wife is becoming a, a fan of your work in terms of the feedback that you've received from that dvd i mean i don't know how many were given out at portland but certainly my wife had one, and a few other folks seem to have those uh, Train Masters bags, which include your DVD. What's the feedback, Pete? Uh, so far on the, on the DVD, I've had uh, some email come through the house here, directed from MRH to me, uh, asking me questions on, you know, the, the techniques I use, and can you do it this way or that way, or can you help me with this? And it's worked out pretty good. Uh, one fella, and I, I don't remember his name right now, uh, he wants to do a little get-together with his buddies and, and use the Train Masters DVD to help them as a group. And I said, well, how would you like to blow their minds and call me up on Skype and you can have me right there in, in your mm-hmm. living room? Uh, and he just thought that was a great idea. So it, it hasn't happened yet. When he's ready, he's going to call me. And uh, I'm willing to do it. I have no problems whatsoever sharing what I've what I've got. Certainly. As a matter of fact, I I posted a couple of pictures on the uh, Model Rail Radio uh, Facebook page. I managed to land um, a weathering project for Joe Fugate. Mm. 
uh, in honor of his uh, anniversary of his Cisco U line. Next year is going to be the anniversary. I'm not sure how long, but uh, I offered to weather an engine for him. So he sent me out an engine, and I weathered it. And it's ready to go back. Clark's going to take it back to Train Fest with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so in terms of in terms of your commission work, mm-hmm. aside from obviously Joe Fugate's locomotive, have you had any interesting? I mean, do people? People send you photographs, typically, with the trains, right? I mean, this is the way it works? Or do you sometimes they just send you trains and say, Ralph, go crazy? I mean, what, what, what's the nature of the commission work that you do? Uh, I would say about 30% will say go crazy. And even if I do go crazy, I still do it from a prototype photo. Certainly. Uh, maybe not one particular one. I might use two or three photos and grab different details from each one. Uh, but it's all prototypical, so it's not like it's coming out of my head. Yeah. Mind you, I've, I've done enough of it now that I could do that. But like they say, less is more. And if you try and do it from your head, you end up putting too much. Certainly. Well, I my office looks out onto a Union Pacific track, mm-hmm. and they, it services a cement works. These are some of the most filthy Union Pacific locomotives you can imagine. I mean, to the point where... Sometimes the Union Pacific logo itself is just completely blackened. Yeah. And I've been wanting to, I need to actually, I'm, I'm good friends with the guy that actually sits on the window and I need to like set up some webcam or something there because I'm never right at the right place to get the entire train as it comes past. I was just <laughs> like at segments of it. But that locomotive, well, the locomotives that service that industry are so, I mean, when you see the standard Union Pacific guys, they're like, oh, you know, the locomotives are always at least reasonably clean. You could always make up the logo and the numbers, what have you. These locomotives are never that way. These are like post-apocalyptic Union Pacific locomotives. So if and I it's... were to send you a commission, it would be these particular locomotives because they appear unprototypical to the Union Pacific fan base. But from my perspective, they represent the Union Pacific that I see every, you know, every few every days. Every day, yeah. yeah. Uh, one of the, one of the, if you ever get the chance to come up this way, we'll go and sit on Barry Silverthorne's front porch. <laughs> He's like 30 feet away from the main line yeah. between Toronto, and Montreal. And well, you heard when you were talking to him before a train went roaring by. Yes. Uh, but some of the stuff that goes through theirs is basically the same. If it's out making money, it's not going into the shop to get cleaned. Mm. It's all about the the dollar. Yeah. Yeah, these Union Pacific locomotives are so filthy, I reckon there are guys in the UP yards that just never, like, maybe they they similarly like really well-weathered locomotives, because these are just unbelievably filthy. And of course, you know the American flag has certain symbolism in the US. Yep. Even the flag is, like, disgusting. So, okay. yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, I'll, I'll talk to my colleague who actually has the window seat. And because they come, typically they come at similar times each, each, uh, week, I'll, uh, I'll set up a webcam and, uh, just try to capture them coming past because, uh, I've gotten a few, I think I've gotten about 30 seconds in various sections, but I've never covered from nose to nose these locomotives. Uh, but yeah, they would certainly be a Ralph Redzetti commission piece without question. Well, you send me the pictures and we'll <laughs> see what we can work out. Yeah. It would be- I, I would like to see those engines myself because. Yeah. 
I'm not used to seeing UP in a really filthy state. Exactly. Dirty, but not filthy. No, these are absolutely disgusting. I mean, these are beyond filthy. I, th- I think they would certainly capture your interest and your skill set. In terms of this religion, we talked about last time an almost religious perspective associated with kind of evangelizing out to folks and getting them, making their trains prototypically weathered. Have you seen... I mean, particularly because you're a train masters, obviously you've appeared on Model Rail Radio, you've appeared on other podcasts as well. Are you seeing, like, waves of the message getting out? I mean, obviously you've got the feedback associated with getting together a Skype call, but do you think that this this thing is actually progressing through the hobby sufficiently that uh, even the likes of Model Railroader would never have a brand new train on their front cover again after a certain period of time? I mean, is it permeating the community sufficiently that, you know, the likes of Model Railroader would not put a brand new train on their cover as they've abusively done since they began. I I may be banished for this, but uh, I don't view Model Railroader as as anything typical. Uh, If there was any weathering to be done, uh, uh, I got to be careful what I say. Um, they will still put pristine stuff on the Certainly. front page. They will. Yeah. It doesn't matter what, what the stage the hoppy is in. Uh, they'll still have the new stuff on the front page. I mean, yeah. Occasionally they'll have their weathered stuff going through or one in the background, but, uh, they seem to like everything clean. From what I've seen on, on the internet now, on the different sites, uh, that, that I, uh, frequent, a lot more people are getting into this. There's one fellow that uh, I've sort of, I've known him now for a long time, is Gary Christensen. Mm-hmm. And uh, his stuff is, is spot on. He, and he does the graffiti, which I refuse to do. Mm. I, I, I think it's a travesty to see all this. It, I mean, yeah, okay, it's the way it is. But as far as I'm concerned, they, it's, it's like people playing on the tracks. They shouldn't be there. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. That's... It's interesting. Certain areas in the U.S. you couldn't do a prototype without graffiti. Mm-hmm. But it's funny actually because most of the stuff you'd think the West Coast would have a lot of graffiti. Nothing like the East Coast. I think it's stationary accessible yards where just basically locomotives are stationed for long periods of time. And on, I mean, there are certain places. Jim Lincoln can talk to this because we discovered a few when he and Terry Terrence were here. Where you can actually get access, but most of them now are heavily fenced and are like combination fences. Now that doesn't stop the average graffiti no. person from getting to them, but the average graffiti person has like lots of different opportunities here. And I think if it's made slightly too difficult, plus they don't have the same visibility that they have on the East Coast. And within that format, it seems to be more about visibility, um, in terms of, you know, opportunity. Right. Ralph. In terms of the winter period, do you do anything different associated with the hobby, or is is your hobby unseason related? My hobby is affected by the season, but it's unseason related to the point where uh, in the spring, uh, my wife is she loves being out in the garden, mm-hmm. and she does all the gardening. I do what I call the yardening. <laughs> <laughs> because it's all the grunt work, yes, which she she has problems with because she has a a, a bad back. Mm. So I do all the digging and all that kind of stuff. She plants the plants and makes it look good. So during that time, 
my hobby suffers. Um, this time of year, it's collecting the leaves and so on. Mm-hmm. So it's interf- and being retired, I've got my whole day basically to do whatever. But it's it's the honeydew list that ha- mm-hmm. that gets in the way, and that's all year round. <laughs> Very good, Ralph. It's a short show, giving people only short amount of time to to chat. Unfortunately, always a pleasure catching up. I will talk to my coworker. I will set up a webcam. I will get footage of uh, of said locomotives coming past because, uh, yeah, in, in order to represent the prototype, and also there's a certain group of Union Pacific modelers that I kind of want to annoy associate with this as well. But you're definitely the guy to send the work to. I'll endeavour to get this stuff together and uh, get you the absolutely filthiest Union Pacific locomotives I've ever seen. Sounds good. Very good. Take Always care. a pleasure chatting, Ralph. Thank you. Bye now. I'd like to welcome on a gentleman who I had the opportunity not only to meet at Portland, but also to have a series of really good conversations. Tom Gazier, welcome back onto Model Rail Radio. What was the Portland experience like for you? Well, thanks, Tom. Uh, Portland was was great. Uh, it was nice to meet you. Tony Ryan, Joe, uh, having lunch, or we had dinner with what, Barry Silverthorne and I. Oh, yeah. Craig Biscay, many, many. Um, it was great to meet a lot of the vendors and the NMRA people. Portland was, was a good adventure for a little whirlwind weekend on my free airline miles. So that was, that was good. I'm looking forward to Indianapolis now. Yeah. Well, you have a responsibility associated with these shows now. Yeah, I guess so. So trying to build a Twitter account and, uh, doing some more things yeah but, uh, i tweeted out i met jim rent today at a train show so wow. i put him put him on a couple twitters jim, and, so jim uh, rent is now traveling further and further basically yes the shop he's with is a very nice uh shop and they sell they do very well at these shows they'll be at train fest next weekend and i'm there's a lot of them in the midwest and oh, it yeah. seems like he can sell his wares and their service and things like that so definitely yeah, I'm hoping. Oh, you're reminding me of something. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm, I've got to <laughs> announce the Berties for this year. Yes. Gosh. And I actually have a couple suggestions on that. Oh, in terms of semi-professionally or in terms of Bertie things that you'd like seen? Well, I think maybe a couple of new new ideas, like a new Bertie suggestion, maybe is a, a favorite Facebook posting. Oh, my goodness. That yeah. would... Uh, you, you see, I've got to be... I'm going to I'm going to be frank with the listeners here. The birdies are now at well. Let me read out what the birdies are. Let me explain the birdies for new listeners. Every year, Model Rail Radio has an awards for the hobby, a series of awards for the hobby, and they started. I think I started them in 2012. Uh, started recording. Well, no, maybe it was even earlier. 2000. Anyway, the birdies have been around for a long time, many years. Many different awards have been presented. We tend to add one new category a year. Last year, with more than 20 votes in certain areas, they were competitive, and we had, like, three winners in Best Club. We had two winners in something else. It just, the number of awards kind of grew. And in parallel to this, Jimmy Simmons makes the awards, or I I pay for the awards, but he actually laser cuts the awards. Jimmy's workload was just blowing out, as folks will hear in the previous episode. So I'm I'm capping the the things associated with the birdies this year. 
But the Bertie categories are, and let me explain this first, for new listeners, what happens initially is people nominate what they like for the Berties. So there's, there are two rounds. The first round is the nomination round where people nominate what they'd like to see. And the second round is the voting round. And the voting round can be really, um, like people basically get together groups and they vote in banks and there are a wide variety of strange things. A couple of years ago, we had a Maverick structure kit company that basically sent out on their mailing list that people needed to vote in the Berties and only for their thing. So it wasn't even like, you could tell which ones were the ballot stuffings, basically. And they didn't even win. Like another manufacturer, I think that might have been, I can't recall. But anyway, there's lots of politics associated with the Berties. Nominations first. So what you need to do is you need to think about your past year. You need to think about the companies and the folks that you've interacted with in the past year. And you need to see, firstly, if they fit into a Bertie category. If they don't fit into a Bertie category, this year we're not expanding the categories. But next year, you could send in and say, look, I'd really like to see this category next year. And I'm receptive to that. So the categories are best new structure kit, best new non-structure kit, which covers locomotives and rolling stock. I've changed the name this year because it was a bit complicated. Best retail service. This is either online or at a physical store. or You can nominate both, basically. Most innovative manufacturer, which is always bitterly fought out. There are always at least 12 manufacturers, and the voting always comes to, like, you know, the last vote for that one. Best new ready-to-run product. That's just like you get it out of the box, you put it on your layout, it works. Best listener-submitted item. Now, Lionel Strang, last year, received best listener-submitted item for A Modeler's Life, his podcast. What the best listener-submitted item is, which could be a Facebook post here, potentially, Tom, is something that people have done in the hobby. Matt Goodman won one year for a blog that he put together associated with building a shelf layout. It's something in the hobby. It could be a blog. It could be a podcast. It could be a variety of different things that have been created by a listener or participant in Model Rail Radio that people just want to, you know, stand out associated with the impact. on. Obviously, Lionel and and Matt are good examples of what it takes to be in best lists of an item. Historically, it was people like submitting photos or these kind of things, the things that they built and talked about on the show. We could do that as well in best lists of submitted item. Favourite part of the show, another bitterly contested area, the Professor and Lionel every year, voting, voting, voting. Last year, Marty McGurk won. The year before, which I think was the inaugural year, Jim Lincoln won. It's a way of saying that you like a person who appears on Model Rail Radio periodically. And last year, we launched for the first time Best Club. And this was a three-way tie last year uh, amongst clubs that have participated in Model Rail Radio, are well-known in the community. New clubs, new ideas, new folk. For example, Clark Kooning's new club that he's just discovered. There are ways that you can get into Best Club quite easily. But it is in part related to participation in Model Rail Radio. But also it's in part being known in the community. Like, there are a number of clubs that have YouTube channels that are really amazing. So they are the current categories. I'm not going to expand the categories, but what you need to do is think back over the past year, associated with those categories, and you send an email to awards at modelrailradio.com. This is all on the front of the website, modelrailradio.com, but awards at modelrailradio.com with your Bertie nominations. You need to do this by January 15th of next year, it's always kind of strange that we the whole Bertie thing goes over the year. 
But there's a lot of work that goes into counting it and creating awards and all this other sort of stuff. So January 15th, that's for the nomination. So think back over your past year. What, what stuff have you encountered in the hobby that has just blown your mind and you think is worthy of a Bertie? Then, sometime in mid-January, I will put together the list of all the nominations and I will post it back on the Model Rail Radio website. And then people actually get to start voting on the nominations. And this is where it gets really interesting. And the voting will close March 15th, 2016. So you've got a few months between when the nominated categories go up and when voting closes associated with the Berties. Tom, does that kind of, can you see, like, I think a particular Facebook post could be in best list of submitted item, but if it's just like a comical Facebook post, I guess I'm still looking for gravitas. I mean, favorite part of the show might, people might debate that. This is a bit of an item, some might debate that, but I'm still looking for something that has really inspired people through the hobby for the year. Well, I think, I think you're saying that a listener submitted by item can be a Facebook post. You know, if Ralph put on there, yeah. here's, here's my Union Pacific engine and, and a series of photos that takes you through it, you know, or, or, you know, Jim Rent, here's how mm-hmm. I make a building square, you know, or, or, you know, things like that. You know how I mean. I know you talk to new people like Bill Brillinger, some of these guys that are very creative, and how they make items. That uh, now I understand that part much better. I think yeah. that'll fall right into that category. So for the first few years with the Berties, I got a lot of questions associated with the various categories and this kind of stuff. I've tried to simplify them in part. The names might seem a little bit funny, but like I say, they're all on the ModelRailRadio.com website. If you have any questions, email me, Tom, at ModelRailRadio.com. The awards email address, awards at ModelRailRadio.com, is for all, like, specific Bertie correspondence associated with either the nominations or the voting. Uh, so if you send it to that, I might, I might not get to it in a reasonable time frame. But yeah, if anyone has any questions, please reach out to me directly, either through Facebook or Tom at modelrailradio.com, uh, and I will answer questions. But the Bertie process, we went through a few iterations with, like, listener prizes for people who submitted Bertie nominations. We've kind of removed that now because, but irrespective of whether the people that either put in the nominations or cast the votes win prizes, this thing is still pretty hotly contested. And certainly for the folks that have received Berties and the manufacturers that have received Berties, these are important things for them. They put them up at shows, they talk about them, they certainly post them to Facebook. It is an amazing way to reward not only companies, but also individuals in this hobby that are doing amazing work. And I will certainly continue on the Berties for the foreseeable future because they are very, very vibrant. An amazing way, actually, the sound decoders, uh, TCS, wow, I think the sound decoders that came out, I didn't realize that they were as popular as they were in the hobby. It also helps me actually recognize some of the upcomers that are coming through this hobby because, yeah, certainly the the votes and the listeners that uh, are doing this kind of stuff and are really... And it's fascinating to me, actually, to go through the counting process as well, Uh, particularly with the clubs. The clubs would like neck and neck. Typically, the retail uh, service one as well is also neck and neck. They, They all can be rather tight, even the new structure. I mean, the new structure used to be like a battleground with like six manufacturers that will always come up year in, year out. And this year, actually, that that crowd thinned, which was quite curious of the last year associated with it. Tom, I'm going to have to wrap up the show early. It's a short show. I've tried to get in as much stuff as possible. Really, like I say, a great pleasure meeting you at Portland. Yes. And your wife came to an event as well, right? 
Yes, yeah, she came to the <laughs> dinner and she likes meeting all the trained people and yeah. and uh putting faces to to the names that she she hears me talk about and talk on Facebook with. So, it was very kind, very kind of you to organize those dinners. Meet your wife too. Yeah, no, I was I met um I met Jim Gore last night and we went to like the Vietnamese equivalent of the barbecue place that we went to. Like I called, made a reservation, they didn't have the reservation. All the kind of things, very small number of tables, these kind of things. It took us a while to get seated, not an inordinate amount of time. But yeah, I said to Jim, this is, this bodes well. This bodes well for good conversation because certainly it enabled a lot of good conversation as the wrong food orders came out and things like that. So yes, I learned my lesson again of never to order hush puppies above the Mason Dixon line. Mm. So. That's <laughs> they don't know how to make hush puppies in Oregon, so wise, but yeah, wise words. <laughs> but thanks, Tom. Anyway, for everyone who participated this evening, thank you very much, and for the folks listening in as well, thank you and good night. Good night, Tom. Good night, Tom. I know. Good night, Tom. Good night, Tom. Good night, Tom.